I love you all so much. How are you? Great. You know, today's, um, today's service is, um, is, is kind of special. It really amazes me how God uh, uses uh, the message that he wants at his particular time. I was reluctant last week to, um, to talk about Paul in the fashion that I had re- read in some of the commentaries that I was reading, um, saying that he was going through some very difficult times and that he needed encouragement. Now, last week's message will be quite similar to this week in the fact that it is all about our, our encouraging one another, our uh, being there for one another. I must say to you that it is our desire as a church that we help any and every one of us here in this body of uh, believers. But uh, really, for the staff to do it is utterly impossible. It is really imperative that you catch the vision of getting into a small group, whether it be men with men, women women with women, or couples with couples. But it is imperative that you get into a small group because... In a group of this size and three different services, uh, some of you can uh, maybe miss uh, a few weeks and, and no one, none of us would know about it. And maybe there is a real need in your life. And, and, and we would love to be able to try to help, but it can go by unnoticed if we're not careful. But not so in a small group. You get in a small group and, and, and your, your group members realize and recognize very, very clearly that, that so-and-so is not here and you know, it would call up, follow up. Is everything all right? Is there anything that we can do for you? And, and you might be in a place in your life where you're not at that place where you need anything right now. It, it, things are going really well. But the, the point of it is, is, is you might not need, but you are needed. For those who are going through times that are fine, you are needed within the body of Christ to, to help those that, that have a, a, a particular need. And, and as I prayed for Sam and thought about it last night and prayed for him. It had no, you know, really, it, it had nothing to do in my mind about the, the message that the Lord had placed on my heart. It's just that I saw him sitting there. I saw him praying, I mean, playing his guitar, and I thought, man, I just, I love that man. And he has touched my life in more ways than he'll ever know. Um, and I'm certain uh, in some ways that he just, you know, just not relevant. It, it, it wasn't important to him, but it was to me and, and how he has touched me. And, and that happens through all of us to one degree or another. I mean, I'll give you, for instance, I was, I was given permission to, do, to say this. Last week in the first service, I wasn't really thinking that much about any particular agenda. I wasn't thinking about doing anything that was kind of out of the ordinary. But as I was praying near the end of the service, seated right in that, right where the row you guys are, but right about over there, and there was nobody sitting in this particular place, was a, a sweet lady that has been, been through a lot of different operations and just had through s- some difficult times. That I knew, but I didn't know that she was about to go through another operation and that I did not know that she was really downtrodden about it. In fact, uh, I asked her permission. She gave me the permission to do this. So as I was praying at the end of the service, I just walked over and I said, you know, like this dear person, you know, we need to pray for one another. And I just touched her hand. It was not a big deal. I just... Touched her hand, had no particular agenda to it, just walked away. During the week, I get an email from her saying that that was the most, it was like 
just everything at that moment in her life because she was considering not going through this operation because she was scared to death of it, just just fearful, and didn't want to go through the pain and the drudgery of it again. And and after last week's message, she her spirit was renewed to do what she knew she had to do, and that is to go through the operation. Now, I didn't know. I knew none of this, but I believe that God does. And, and he'll use... There was a, a gentleman that, that used to go uh, to church, an older, elderly gentleman, who used to say, you know, God will use, even if we share with someone a cold cup of water, he'll use that. He will use us if we'll just be usable, if we're just available to be used by him. And that's today's message. It's, it's all about that, because... Deep within this message is what I've denied for a couple of weeks. And now I've come to realize it full on. And that is that Paul has his moment of fear. Paul is wondering, perhaps, what's it all about? And I bet you every single one of us here in this room, at one time or another, wondered to ourselves or out loud, God, can you even hear me? Is are you really there? Uh, do you not see what I'm going through? Does it not trouble you? I don't know what you might say, but those types of words. And we come to a place where Paul, when he was in Athens, didn't have a real successful time there in ministry. And he ended up leaving, and then he goes from Athens, that's like jumping out of the frying pan into the fire when he goes to Corinth. When he gets to Corinth, he's in the most despicable of cities. I mean, what they did in, in Athens, okay, they had a lot of different idols, and he called them worshiping evil spirits. They were worshiping evil spirits. But, but when he got to Corinth, they were using religion in the most despicable of ways. As I mentioned last week, they had male and female prostitutes that they would go to the temple and they would have, quote-unquote, these sacred times of worship, you know. And that's the community he's in right now, in Corinth. And these people are just, are just the most despicable of people. And Paul, if you remember last week, said to them, I shake off my garment. That was a dramatic Jewish gesture. That in other words, I'm, I'm through with you. I'm, that's it. I, I've, sh I've shaken the dust of my garments. I'm through with you. And then he said in verse 6, May your blood be on your own heads. I am clean. In other words, I've, I've told you everything I know to tell you. I can't tell you anymore. And I sense in his... I didn't sense until this week when I was reading in my spirit that Paul is going through a real low time. And what he needed was what any and every single one of us need at one time or another, and that's somebody. Somebody who is there to say, hey, hang in there. I love you, man. I love you so much. You can make it. There's, there's no problem here. I mean, we'll be with you. Or maybe you would come to me and say, hang in there. We'll see you through it. I, I have experienced that. Some years ago, when I left that other church, I, I was down and out. I mean, I was down and out. And there was some staff members here at this church that, that, that decided, let's, 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 let's begin a new movement for Christ in this community. Let's, let's start a church. And I, I thought, oh, it's, 
how, where are we going to meet, who's going to come, I'm, I'm done, I'm through. And by the grace of God, amongst many of them, Laura Chandler will always be my heroine. I mean, she said, if Ralph and I have to, we'll sell our home. We'll live in a tent. We need the word of God preached in this community. Don't give up. And that was like, okay, maybe we can make this. Maybe we can do it. We all need that type of people in our lives. People that will encourage us. And that's what happens now, I think, in the life of Paul. As we're going to see, he has a vision. And the Lord himself comes to Paul. Now, I've read this a number of times. I, when I read through and, and study a chapter, I, I read it over and over and over again. So I've read verses 9 and 10 over and over again. But this week, when I got to it, I literally, I literally got to where the Lord God said to him, don't be afraid any longer. And I flat. I was sitting at my desk and I started to cry that I couldn't read the rest of that verse. And it dawned on me, the commentators are correct. Paul is going through a real difficult time. And the Lord comes to him and just lifts him up. Don't be afraid any longer, Paul. Keep on preaching. Don't be silent. I am here with you. No one will harm you. I have many people in this city that will back you up. And I thought to myself, my gosh. My gosh. And so this is what this message is about. It's, a, it's the basic need that we have as a group of people for companionship, for fellowship. It's, it's the very essence of what long ago in chapter 2 when when the apostles told the people, look, we want you to be continually devoted to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship with one another, to communion and to uh, uh, prayer. But in that mix was fellowship. And that's what this is really all about. The fellowship that we get from the Lord and the fellowship that we get from one another. And if, as I said, if you're on top of the pile right now, and you don't need anything, let me say to you that you are needed nonetheless by someone else here in the body of Christ. And you can be that person with that cold cup of water that might be able to encourage and help someone in a time of need. Read with me, please. Acts chapter 18, verses 6 through verse 17. This is a very monumental time within the Word of God, as I will try to explain in a few minutes. Verse 6, When they resisted and blasphemed, Paul shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am clean. From now on I shall go to the Gentiles. He departed from there and went to the house of a certain man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God, whose house was next to the synagogue. And Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord and all his household. Many of the Corinthians, when they heard, were believing and being baptized. Verse 9, the Lord said to Paul in the night by a vision, Do not be afraid any longer. Go on speaking. Do not be silent. 
for I am with you. And no one will attack you in order to harm you, for I have many people in this city. And so in verse 11 it says, Paul settled there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. But while Galileo was proconsul of Acacia, the Jews, with one accord, rose up against Paul and brought him before the judgment seat, saying, This man persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. Verse 14 it says, But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Galileo said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrong or a vicious crime, O Jews, it would be reasonable for me to put up with you. But if there are questions about words and names in your own law, look after it yourselves. I am unwilling to be a judge of these matters. And verse 16 says he drove them away from the judgment seat. Verse 17 is almost comical to me, except it's only comical to me. It wasn't comical, I'm sure, at the time for Sosthenes. It says they took a hold of Sosthenes, the leader of the synagogue, and began beating him in front of the judgment seat. And Galileo was not concerned about any of these things. It's interesting. We'll explain this in a moment. This is perhaps one of the monumental moments in the life of the church, what took place here in Corinth. And I'll try to explain how. It's the first known reference to the separation of church and state. And Galileo stood up on behalf of Paul, but also, whether he knew it or not, on behalf of Christianity, on behalf of the movement of Jesus Christ in the European world. Let's pray now. Father, please, would you do us the greatest of privileges, and that is open up our eyes, open up our hearts and our minds and our thoughts that we might behold wonderful things from your law. Teach us, Father, in your wonderful and perfect timing. Teach us from your word, Father. Move the speaker aside so that we not be... uh, distracted from what you might say to each of our hearts. We pray, Father, that you would uh, take your word and minister to each of us. For those of us here, Father, who have concerns, would you deal with those concerns? For those of us here who need to be comforted, dear Father, would you comfort us with the, with the, the grace of your kindness? To those of us, Father, who need to to be a sense of your closeness, Father, would you draw us near so that, Father, we might sense your presence. Move me aside, I pray, dear Father, and minister to our hearts, I pray, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. The Lord made a statement in the book of Matthew, the seventh chapter, the sixth verse. It's a very harsh statement. He says, do not give what is holy to dogs. Dogs meaning unbelievers, Gentiles, or those who denied the existence of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He says, don't throw your pearls before swine. Or, he says, they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. And so, Paul, sensing that these people were were not receiving what he was giving them. He was, in other words, casting his pearls before them. And they were about to trample them underfoot. He shook out his garments, as it says in verse 6, and then made the statement. 
May your blood be on your own heads. I am clean. He repeated this statement in chapter 20, verse 26. When he says, therefore, I testify to you this day, I am innocent of the blood of all man. As we have studied in weeks past and even last week in Ezekiel chapter 33, we are told there is to be a watchman at watch on the city gates. And God says, what I tell the watchman, the watchman is to tell you if he tells you then I come and take you away. Your blood will be on your own heads. He'll be innocent. If he doesn't warn you, if he doesn't tell you, and I come and take you in your sin, he says, your blood I will require of his hand. Now that ought to make every pastor, every teacher of the word of God shudder if they don't teach the words that God has given us to teach, those words are not found in some um, topical subject that doesn't center in on the Word of God. God has given us words to say to one another. He has given us warnings and given us encouragement, and He has given us all we need to be all that we are. And woe to the person that doesn't teach the Word of God and give warning out of the Word of God. How do, you, how do you manufacture what happened in the first service this morning? Impossible. This one woman came to me after the service and says, I want to introduce you to my dear friend. I've been begging her to come to church. She's saying this with her friend just standing there. And she said she just didn't want to come, didn't want to come. And she came today, and she's dying of fourth, what do they call it, fourth something cancer. Stage four cancer. Her name was Pam, and we, right here we prayed for Pam. Of all the services that she came to, of all the weeks she didn't want to come, she came today. And at the end of this service, I think you'll see what I mean. Why you can't, you can't manufacture that. That's God's timing. God working in and through His Word as we go through His Word systematically as He deals with those of us in need. And so as we see in Ezekiel 33... Paul is saying, look, I've sounded the trumpet. I've given you the message as clearly as I know how. And, and as I said to you last week, you know, the, the message of salvation, you can say, I want more. I want more information. But the only information you're ever going to get, no matter how many times you get it, if it's given to you correctly, is repent. Turn from your sins. Turn to God. Believe in Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. That's the message. It doesn't get any deeper than that. It doesn't isn't more profound than that. Now, there's a lot more to, to being a Christian. There's a lot more to understanding of the Word of God. But when it comes to salvation, you have, we have sounded the trumpet. So Paul, when he says their blood, in other words, he is saying their eternal destiny is in their own hands. Meaning that salvation is a personal decision. It is your and my decision. If we could, I promise you, we would lock the doors and not let you out of here until every single one of you accepted Christ. We just wouldn't let you get out of here. Because we love you that much. We can't make you come to Christ. We can't. It is a decision that you and you alone must make. Here's the news. Nobody, nobody, nobody can make you 
except the Lord. Here's the way I usually say it. But nobody can stop you. You can come to Christ anytime you want to. It's a decision in your heart. And so Paul is saying, look, I am free. I am clear. Uh, I have wiped my hands of all responsibility. The ball now is in your court. Well, he says he was going to leave, but if we noted from verse 7 and 8, you can see that Paul did not stray far from the synagogue. I mean, I think he could have gone to a lot of different places to stay. But Paul loved his countrymen. He loved his fellow Jews. He says in Romans 10.1 about his relationship to his countrymen, he says, My heart's desire and my prayer to God is for them, meaning fellow Jews, that they come to salvation. Paul loved them. And so it says in verse 7, he departed. Once he says, I, I shake the dust from my garments and, and, and your blood be on your own heads, I'm clean. He departed from there, verse 7, there meaning the synagogue, and he went to the house of a certain man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God, note, whose house was next to the synagogue. He didn't go too far. And then it says Crispus, who was a leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord along with his household and then many of the Corinthians, when they heard... Now, when they heard could mean when they heard Paul's message or when they heard that Crispus and his household had come to Christ, were believing and being baptized. This fellow's house next to the synagogue was Paul's base of operations. It was next door to the synagogue. It gave Paul a convenient, ongoing contact, not only with the Gentiles the God-fearing Gentiles who went to the synagogue, but also to the God-fearing Jews. And because Crispus was the leader of the synagogue, it made him very prominent in the life of Paul. Paul was able now to come and go to the synagogue as he so desired. And this conversion, that of Crispus and his household, was a significant breakthrough for Paul and, and for the church that is beginning there in Corinth. These conversions, though, people coming to Christ now all over the city have sent shockwaves through the Jewish community. And so desperate to halt this rising tide of belief in Jesus Christ as the Messiah, the Savior, as God, a very God on earth, they, in verses 12 and 13, the Jews, in other words, the religious leaders, brought Paul before the Roman authorities. But before that happens, in verses 9 and 10, the Lord God himself provided the most encouraging of comforts to Paul. And that is simply, he came to Paul himself in a vision. Read 9 and 10 again, it's worth reading. The Lord said to Paul in the night by a vision, Don't be afraid any longer. Go on speaking. Don't be silent. Because he says in verse 10, I am with you. No one will attack you in order to harm you. Because he says, I have many people in this city. Now, you know, humanly speaking, Corinth was about the last place that you and I would expect the Lord to have many people in the side of a city. But the Lord did. Now, obviously, here, you can note from these two verses that Paul was struggling with his faith. Now, how much he was struggling, it doesn't say. He's my hero. I didn't think he struggled at all. I didn't think there was nobody that scared him. I didn't think that no situation scared him. I didn't think he would. I thought he was 
fearless. But I believe that Paul was now wondering, should he continue to preach at Corinth? And the Lord comes to him and says, don't be afraid, Paul. Keep on speaking. I'm here. I'm with you. I've got your back. The Lord gives Paul, in the book of Acts alone, six different times where he comes to him in a vision. Six times that he comes to him at a very strategic time in his ministry to lift him up when needed. If you look on your notes, if you look up there, there's the book of Acts, there's chapter 9, there's chapter 16, chapter 22, chapter 23, and chapter 27, along with here in chapter 18. Six times. In chapter 9, you'll remember, Paul just got knocked on his behind when he was on the road to Emmaus, and he went into the street, uh, he went to a street called Straight there, and in, in In chapter 9, verse 12, the Lord said to him, in a vision, there's going to be a man by the name of Ananias who's going to come to you and lay his hands on you. In Acts chapter 16, when Paul was going on his mission journeys, and if you remember when we studied, every place he went, there was like a dead end. He couldn't go there, he couldn't go there, he didn't get to go and and minister there. And all of a sudden, in Acts chapter 16, In verses 9 and 10, the Lord God came to to him in a vision and said, There is a person in Macedonia who is waiting for you to preach the gospel. Go to him and preach. In Acts chapter 22, in verses 17 and 18, the Lord comes to Paul and he says, Leave Jerusalem, they're not going to take your testimony. Then in chapter 3, in verse 11, he says, Now when you leave Jerusalem, go to Rome. They'll accept you there. And then on his way there in chapter 27, verse 23 and 24, he's on a ship and the ship gets into terrible waters and it starts breaking apart and even the hardened sailors were fearing for their life and the Lord God came to Paul in the vision and says, no one will perish. No one will perish. And Paul gave him that good news. And sure enough, they all made it to land. Interestingly enough, when he made it to land, as he was picking up sticks to make a fire because they were all wet and cold, he picked up what he thought was a stick, and it was a serpent, and it bit him. And they thought, how ironic. Here he got us to land. Now he's going to die by a, a snake bite. And Paul just shook it off, and he was fine. And so this supernatural visions that Paul had throughout the book of Acts, here in verses 9 and 10 of chapter 18, provides... Paul with four reasons, and I say to you this morning, he provides you and me with the same four reasons why we should never give up. First and foremost, God commanded Paul specifically, saying, go on speaking. He's asked you and me to do the same thing. He's asked us, by the grace of God, to share our faith, to go into the world and make disciples. You and I have the same responsibility. Now, some of you might not be speakers, but that's okay. It could be just a, like I said a little while ago, a cold cup of water. It could just be, it could be just a, a handshake. It could be just a, a kind gesture. You, you never know what it might be that might encourage a person at the perfect time. It doesn't have to be the message. It could be just the kindness of the messenger. But go on sharing your faith. Secondly, God reminded him, here's why you can go on sharing your faith, because he says in verse 10, I am with you. You see, with the Lord's powerful presence, Paul knew that he could accomplish 
whatever God intended for him to do, and he does the same thing to us. Paul later wrote to us, I can handle, I can do all things. This is Philippians uh, 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And, and believer, that's the same message that you and I receive. Our Lord will be with us. Our Lord is there to care for us. I am with you. I can do all things through Christ. I would love for you to turn to 2 Timothy. It's to the right. Just a few books. Before you get to the book of Hebrews. If you get to the book of Hebrews, you're going just a bit too far. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4 with me. Near the end of Paul's life, we see the Lord still standing by his promises to be with him. And it's the same promises that he gives to us. In verse 16 of 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul says, At my first offense, no one supported me. All deserted me. And then he says a kind thing. May it not be counted against them. But he says in verse 17, The Lord stood with me and strengthened me, so that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished, and that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. And then he finishes in verse 18 by saying, The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed, and he will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him, Paul writes, be the glory forever and ever. And then he says, so be it. In other words, amen. And that same promise is yours and mine. He will never leave us. He will never desert us. He will never forsake us. And he will accomplish what he has said he will do in our life, and that is he will bring us together with him to heaven one day in his glorious heavenly kingdom. And I want to remind you of something that is the great news of the Bible, and that is God's promises that he will make the same promises to us. His presence will forever be with us as well. Remember in Matthew when he says, I want you to go into the, the whole world. I want you to go from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, to the other most parts of the world. And then he says, I want you to teach them. Teach people to observe all that I have commanded you. And then he says, and lo, he says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He's with us as well. He's not going to leave us, nor is he going to forsake us. We were also told in the Old Testament in Isaiah... Would you turn to Isaiah? Because I'm going to have you look at Isaiah chapter 41 and then Isaiah chapter 50. So stay in Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10, it's really a great verse. There are so many wonderful verses in the Old Testament about the Lord being our rock and our, our salvation and our comfort and our protection. But here in Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10, Isaiah, God says to Isaiah, Do not fear, for I am with you. He says, do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So God is there to care for us, to watch over us. Stay in Isaiah, but look at Isaiah chapter 54 with me for a moment. The third promise that God makes to Paul is that nobody will attack you in order to harm you. You see, under God's protection, you and I are secure. We're invincible, folks. I'll tell you how invincible you and I are. Not a single one of us here in this room will not take the last breath that God himself has given us until he's through with us. And no one will harm us until then. 
You will not die unexpectedly before the Lord. He has you in his right hand. And you and I will not take one less breath than he has given us on this earth. Now in Isaiah chapter 54 and verse 17, he says, No weapon that is formed against you will prosper. And every tongue that accuses you in judgment, you will condemn. Now note, this is for you and for me. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. That's you and me if you've come to know Christ. We are His servants. This is our heritage of the servants of the Lord. And their vindication is from me, declares the Lord God. He will watch over us. Back to Acts chapter 18. The final reason that God told Paul to keep on preaching, to not be fearful, is that he had many people in this city of Corinth, many companions who could be there to help Paul in his time of need. And that's why you and I need each other in this church. There are many people here who can help in a time of need. And none of us will know unless you are apart. And so we know that something's going wrong so that maybe we can reach out and help you. So Paul, with his strength fully renewed by God's promises, number one, to keep on speaking, Paul, I am with you, Paul. No harm is going to come to you, Paul, because I have friends here in this city that will care for you, Paul. And as a result, in verse 11 of chapter 18 of Acts, Paul settled there in Corinth. A year and six months teaching the Word of God among the people there in Corinth. You've got to take note the help that God and others provided for Paul through encouragement in his time of need is invaluable. And you and I need the same thing. We are not so strong that we don't need help from others from time to time. By the way, may I ask you that one question? Who are you helping? Who are you encouraging right now in their walk with Jesus Christ? You need to find someone. Get into a small group. Men with men. Women with women. Couples with couples. It doesn't matter. Get into a small group that you can hold each other accountable and you can start encouraging one another and getting need, getting help in your time of need and giving out help in another person's time of need. Now, finally, let's get to what is really a, a critical issue in this whole scenario. In verses 12 through 16, we find a man named Galileo. He is the proconsul of Acacia. The Jews were angry again against Paul. They wanted to stop him from preaching the gospel. And so they bring him to Galileo to be judged. Not really judged, to be stopped. You see, in desperation, they tried to get the Roman authorities to put a halt to Paul's preaching. And so they bring Paul to Galileo, who is probably the first person that you and I can read about who will make a decision between the separation of church and state. Galileo or Galileo proclaimed that if the matter was concerning their religion, then they should take care of it. It's out of his hands. They need to care for it. Look what he says in verses 14 and 15 here. He says, when Paul was about to open his mouth, Galileo said to the Jews, look, if it were a matter of wrong or a matter of a vicious crime, it would be reasonable for me to put up with you. But... If there are questions about words and names and your own law, look after it yourself. I'm unwilling to be a judge in these matters. 
Galileo proclaimed that if the matter was concerning religion, they're to take care of it themselves. You see, Galileo was a Roman magistrate, and he was concerned with enforcing the Roman law, but not their religion and not any offspring of their religion that is called Christianity. So when the case did not involve the Roman law, Galileo did not interfere. He told them, you handle this yourselves. Now this is, I'm telling you folks, this is one of the most important moments in the history of Christ and the church and Christianity. You see, if the Jews had successfully received a favorable verdict from Galileo, if he made it law that they could stop preaching the gospel, then wherever the gospel is preached, they could have gone to the other places in Europe and stopped it dead in its track because they would have had the government behind them to stop it. By the way, I've been told by Hutch, Hutch has told me this, that there is a movement in Washington now to have what is called a a movement against what they call, quote-unquote, hate speech. And so they can, if this law passes, they can monitor all the pastors and they can have someone there listening. And if they say something maybe negative against a Jewish person or against a homosexual or against somebody in a cult, they can take that pastor to to a, a court, they can put them on trial, and they have the right then to put them to jail if they pass this law. This is something you and I ought to pray against. That that doesn't happen. Because if it becomes government law, then pastors who preach the word of God and, and do not compromise are going to be in a very tenuous position. I don't want to go to jail. I'll go to jail for the cause of Christ, but I don't want to go to jail. I really don't. I don't care if you say you'll visit me or not. I don't want to go to jail. I'd rather visit you in jail. (laughs) I don't want to go to jail. But by the grace of God, if I have to, I will. I will not compromise the word of God. And so, oh, well, thank you. Is that for me to go to jail? Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. So look what happens. Look at the miracle of this. In verses 14 and 15... Paul wants to speak out on his own behalf. And he loved to speak on his own behalf. But Galileo cuts him off. And in verse 16, Galileo drove the Jews away from the judgment seat against judging against Paul and his movement. It is what God said in chapter verses 9 and 10. I have a lot of friends here that you don't even know of, Paul. Now, whether Galileo was a believer or not, which I don't believe he was, is not the issue. God will use anyone or anything to accomplish what he will accomplish. And here he uses Galileo. So now, I hate to say this, but I get a smile every time I read what happens to Sosthenes. Now, I don't want to be Sosthenes, but let me look. I mean, how, how ridiculous is this? They are angry. They, meaning the Jewish people that brought Paul... Galileo says, no, you can't do it. They're angry. So they look around and they go, Sosthenes, he's the leader. He is the one that has bungled this case. He didn't bungle anything. Galileo stopped it. And so they, they go and they beat Sosthenes up right there in front of the judgment seat because he is the leader of the synagogue but consistent with Galileo's refusal to meddle in their religious affairs after he says, I have nothing to do with this, this is yours. He's walking away and it says, as he looks, well, I I envision him looking back. It says, Galileo, in verse 17, was not concerned about them beating Sosthenes to death. 
He probably looked away and says, those crazy guys, look at there. They're beating this guy to a pulp. He didn't do anything with it because he was not concerned about their religious affairs. It wasn't having to do with the law of the land. Now, turn with me, please, to Isaiah, and we'll close. Look at chapter 40, please. In the meantime, what I want to leave with you and me is how God strengthens us. How he strengthened Paul. He strengthened Paul clearly by saying to Paul, look, I am with you. Keep on speaking. Don't be silent. No harm is going to come upon you. I have friends here. I give testimony to that. that those four things, I give testimony to it. God strengthens Paul through friends and his presence by being faithful to his promises. In Isaiah chapter 40, three of the most wonderful verses that you'll ever get to know, verses 29, 30, and 31. God says, I give strength to the weary. And to the person who lacks might, God says, I increase power. Though youth grow weary and tired and vigorous youth, young men stumble badly. He says in verse 31, those who wait upon the Lord, those who wait upon the Lord, They will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. For those of you that are going through difficulties, I know it's cheap. I know it's words are really cheap. But you wait upon the Lord. You will walk and not get tired. You will run and not get weary. God will uplift you at the proper time. And I can give testimony to that. When you're going through it, it doesn't feel like he might be there. You might even question the fact that God made that promise. But some way down the road, you'll see his movement upon your life. You'll sense that he was there all along and that he cares for you beyond your wildest dreams. If you're going through anything right now that's deep waters for you, we would love to help as a church. We would love for you to get into a small group so that we can kind of... uh, Filter out those that are going through difficulties that we can help by, you know, smaller groups helping one another. That's the way the church is supposed to function. We want to be a we want to be an all-purpose church for all of us. I can only say to you every week, I love you to death. I'll do. I love you with all my heart. I don't know how to say it anymore. I just love you. It is my deepest prayer that God will watch over and protect all of us. But there is going to be a time in your life and my life that we're going to need somebody. And there's going to be a time in your life and my my life that we will be needed by someone. Unless we know the people around us, it's going to be hard for us to be there for them. Let's pray. Dear Father, it seemed so difficult for me to come to the understanding that that you finally said to Paul, don't be afraid, Paul. Don't keep silent. Keep on speaking. I am with you, Paul. No one's going to put a harm to you. I've got a lot of friends. Father, you say the same thing to each one of us. May we as a church be friends to one another. May we be a, a group of people that gather each other in our arms and those indeed that we would be there to help. 
as you teach in 2 Corinthians, may we comfort those that need to be comforted. And for those who have become comforted and, and have gone through their trial, may they then comfort others with the comfort that they have been given by others. May we be a church that helps one another. Now, Father, take us wherever you might take us today. Would you bless each of us as we go from here? Bring us back, Father, next week that we might hear good things from your wonderful word. Thank you, Father, for every person here. I love them. Lord God, I make this confession before you. I love these people with all my heart. Thank you for the privilege of being a part of this church, Father. I am honored. So, Lord, we bless. We ask your blessings upon us, and we ask, Father, that we would be a blessing to you this day. In Jesus' most precious name, amen. I do love you all so much. God bless you.